Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Can you pick the five shares that would beat the market in 2019? Over 500 FT Money Reasers have now entered the FT stock picking competition, and there's still time for you to do so. Now that we're back at work, have you got the January blues? I'll be speaking to David Smith, a 50-something who quit his corporate job and took a huge change of career direction. He now gets paid to deliver yachts around the world. More from him later. Also here to help with the dreaded post-Christmas credit card bill is Lindsay Cook, the FT's money mentor, who has lots to say about 0% credit card deals. And finally, could finding an unusual coin in your spare change be enough to pay off your debts? As the Royal Mint launches a new range of collectible coins for 2019, we ask if they are ever a good investment. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett. FT Money Editor, bringing you all of this week's money news. The choppy performance of world stock markets startled investors at the end of last year, having enjoyed a long bull run powered by central bank stimulus in the wake of the financial crisis. Where markets will head in 2019 is a rather vexed question, but the FT's annual stock picking competition is one way of focusing your minds. Joining me now to discuss is Robert Smith, the capital markets correspondent at the FT. Welcome to the podcast, Robert. Hi, Claire. So, Excitingly, readers can enter the competition for the first time this year. We'll give more details of exactly how to do so in a minute. But first of all, can you tell us about how this contest started? So the contest started a few years back before I was at the FT, and it was devised by Miles Johnson, who was then the investment editor. He's now our Rome bureau chief, so covering very different things. Yes, <laughs> out e- of the frying pan into exactly, the Exactly, <laughs> equally chaotic, but different things. Um and as many of our listeners may know, it's really hard for journalists to invest in individual stocks because there's all sorts of ethical problems if we end up writing about those companies and influencing the share price. Um, it's probably not a bad thing in the long run because it's not actually a good idea to invest in individual stocks. It's a much better idea to stick your money in an index fund and not worry about it. But it's a lot of fun investing in individual stocks. Um, so Miles came up with this idea that we could do a very sort of simplified stock picking contest where we pick five stocks, either long or short. So long means you're betting that the price will rise. Short means you're betting that the price will fall. Yes, exactly. And the cost of entry, so to speak, was a charitable donation to the FT's seasonal appeal, which this year is Habitat for Humanity. Yes, and um, we have 
entered, yep. um, about the, a group of around 30 writers at, at the FT, including me. I'll tell you more about my picks later. Um, and made our donations to Habitat for, for Humanity. It's up to you, um, readers listening at home, if you want to make a donation too. It's not compulsory, but I would encourage you to, to read the full link in the entry form about the work that they're doing. So the challenge is to pick five stocks that people think will either rise or fall the most in 2019. But of the FT writers who've entered... Robert, are most of them making big shorts? <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's an interesting question because for much of the year last year, the stock market did incredibly well, and the people who had just sort of blindly gone long tech stocks, for example, were far in the lead. But that all changed in the mm. last two months. It was actually people who tended to have very sort of smart short bets that ended up doing the best. Um, and when you're making your investment decisions, there's that sort of recency bias, as people call it. Things were really bad in the last two months. Oh, my God, they're going to be bad. So we always have a nice mix of long and shorts, but there's a lot of people with either all short portfolios or four shorts and one longs, which is a bit unusual. And depressingly, a lot of them are focused on the UK. So Debenhams and Thomas Cook, I think, are the two most shorted stocks in our contest, uh, which is interesting because both stocks were down massively last year. They could still fall further, they? they could, that Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> as the example of Carillion showed, Carillion was down 90%, I think, in 2017, and then it was down 100% in 2018. Um, just because something's fallen a lot doesn't mean it won't fall further still. Well, we've had 500 uh, readers, as I said, so far who have entered. I don't have data to hand on how many of them have gone long or short, but we will be writing a piece about that after the deadline of Monday the 15th of January when we can analyse um, more of the data collectively. Um, so how can, Robert, people who are listening at home, enter the contest? Yeah, it's really simple. Um, just plug in www.ft.com slash and there's a really easy form to fill in where you just fill in your five stocks and you click long or short. Now, there are a few rules. They're not particularly cumbersome, but essentially you don't pick ETFs, sort of investment trusts that are really just a basket of other stocks. Don't pick anything which is like not a company. Yes. <laughs> just pick a company. But there's loads of fun you can have with this. Like it, out of the FT writers... We have two people who are long different football clubs, Manchester United and Juventus. They're both listed. Um, the guy who's long Juventus is actually an AC Milan fan <laughs> and he's doing it as an emotional hedge because he'll be really pissed off if they do well, but he'll do well. In he the might line. win the competition. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, there's all sorts of fun you can have with it. Just try to make sure the five picks are companies. And uh, I've, I've, I've said in a, in a separate little piece that I've written for the FT Schools email that um, this could actually be quite a good thing to, to do with older children, to engage them in the stock market, um, especially with, with companies like football teams or retailers or big household brands, um, to just get them thinking about, about how the, the stock market works. So slightly unnatural, we know, to be getting um, the performance of a stock over one year when people should be investing for the long term. But it is an engagement tool. Um, so bear that in mind um, when you are making your selections. But Robert, what is the prize that yeah. is on offer to the readers who have the best performing portfolios? This is a good question. You get to come into our office and gawp at us 
and say, why was I able to beat you, you <laughs> supposedly knowledgeable <laughs> financial writers? Um, which, as you say, for, for all the school children out there who are on an FT sort of access through their schools, which is a great scheme, um, this would be a fantastic prize to, to come in and look around the newsroom. Um, I probably would have loved that when I was 17 or 18, but I was quite a weird child. So, yeah. <laughs> there are quite a lot of weird, weird grown-up children um, at the Financial Times, I have to say. Well, thanks very much there to Robert Smith. The link to the entry form again is ft.com slash stockpicker. And that link contains all the rules, terms and conditions and details of the FT's seasonal appeal to help Habitat for Humanity. And if you want to read Robert Smith's very excellent column about the history of the contest and who won out of the FT writers in 2018, go to ft.com slash money where you can find that article. At parties, David Smith loves it when people ask him, what do you do for a living? He is a commercial skipper delivering yachts around the world. Yet 10 years ago, this was an industry he didn't even know existed. For wage slaves who are listening and thinking, how on earth did he do that? Wait no longer, as David joins me on the line now. Hello, sailor. Hello, Claire. (laughs) So before we get on to how you made this drastic career change tantalize us with a bit about what you actually do um well i spend most of my time uh, working for a yacht delivery company and somebody just wants a boat moved from a to b and that can be across the atlantic it can be around europe it can be just around the british isles just along the south coast of england for people who maybe aren't so comfortable sailing offshore um or maybe someone's bought a boat um, and needs to move to where they're going to use the boat. Well, it's it's fair to say that those who are wealthy enough um, to own a yacht are likely to be cash-rich and time-poor, um, so they're quite happy to um, engage your company and indeed you to skipper um, their yacht to where they need it to be around the world. Now, give us a taste of where your adventures have taken you in the past few years. All over. I mean, it's... Uh, I mean, Probably the most, to me, the most interesting places are likes of Bermuda, which is an island all on its own in the Atlantic. I would never get there otherwise. I love Messina between Sicily and Italy. Mm. It's, uh, you sail through there with uh, Mount Etna in the background with snow on it. Um, Gibraltar and Guernsey, you know, it's nice. It's interesting going to British overseas territories and seeing what they're like. Dublin's a real favourite. It's got a lovely marina at Dun- Dunleary. Um, and, you know, even Falmouth, Penzance. Getting to Cornwall, I live in Edinburgh, so these are far away places for me anyway, but uh, just beautiful places just to sail into and uh, spend a day or two. Um, and sometimes I have to go and consult an atlas to find out where the places are. Um, Last year, I was one to Greece, from Griefspalt in Germany on the Polish border through the Kiel Canal down the German, Dutch, Belgian, French coast and across at Dover, um, bringing the boat back to um, the Solent. And uh, that was a fascinating journey. Uh, very shallow water, no more than 12 metres along the whole journey um, and uh, through the busiest shipping lanes in the, on the planet. So... Uh, really intense passage, but absolutely enthralling going through the Keel Canal, 60, 60 kilometres um, across the peninsula that takes you up to Denmark. 
Well, you're in your 50s now, David, so plenty of years sailing ahead of you. But tell us now how you made the switch from being a chartered surveyor to a professional yacht skipper. Well, I've always sailed. I've sailed dinghies. My dad's boat. Um, he's got a saddler of 25. And uh, I just reached a stage that uh, I want. It was actually my wife said, what would you like to do more of? in your later years and I said I would love to sail more unfortunately she's not a sailor so she said well how are you going to do that and uh, I started scanning around um, uh, the internet for there's lots of chat rooms and Facebook pages and it was a chance encounter with one where they were looking for a crew to join them from south of France to Istanbul and very quickly, uh, I was on a plane the next day and heading off into uh, the Mediterranean. And at that point, I was hooked, absolutely hooked. Um, it, uh, uh, just the whole rhythm of life on boat, uh, on the boat, um, you're on watch for three hours, you're off for six hours, and this runs all through the night. And... Um, there's a lot of downtime. You spend a lot of time sleeping, but uh, when you're on watch, uh, you're driving the boat. And your new career has not always been plain sailing. Now, we might be complaining about choppy markets, but you're often dealing with rather choppy waters. Well, what you do with any risk is you de-risk it. And uh, the weather forecasting tools we have nowadays are second to none. You can forecast the weather seven days out very accurately once the wind goes above 20 knots which is about 24 25 miles per hour we'll make a decision days in advance to pull into a port and just sit it out because our job is to deliver the boat in as good or better condition than uh, we receive it and pushing a boat to its limits is not the purpose of the exercise it's quite the reverse we will reef down the sails make them smaller so there's less strain on the rigging. Um, and a lot of times we're on the engine. I mean, there is a bit of a saying that if you want to know where you're delivering a boat to, it's where the wind is coming from. So <laughs> you, you have to motor towards your destination. But I think the key thing is picking your moment. I will never take a delivery with a time constraint, which forces me to make a bad decision on weather. And... Um, that's where, if there's any doubt about it, I'll speak to Halcyon, we'll talk through the weather charts and um, manage expectations with the owners um, that uh, we'll pick favourable weather. Um, if you're crossing the Atlantic, you pick the time of year. So you will, most boats will go out to the Caribbean um, in the autumn and come back in the spring because they can catch the trade winds going out and the currents and trade winds coming back. So you just pick, pick your moment for wind strength and also time of year. Avoid the hurricane season. Well, you're very good at managing risk on a boat, quite different from your previous um, career where you were managing shopping centres uh, for, for land securities with, with the state of the high street at the moment. Perhaps a, a good time to take to the seas. But finally, David, what would your advice be for anybody listening who's considering a similarly dramatic change in career direction? If you love sailing and yacht delivery, everybody that cruises with me loves sailing. That's the... I mean, nobody's making that choice because 
for, for any random reason they're doing it because they love the sailing just get on with it you need to assemble a fair bit of paperwork so there's a yacht master course a sea survival course ocean safety at sea you need a medical you need um first aid certificate so you collect quite a lot of paperwork some of which has to keep getting renewed but to join a crew all you would need is um i think a coastal skipper certificate or a yacht master certificate and just get miles under the keel well thanks very much there to david smith commercial yacht skipper and surely one of the most envied men in britain to read david's article and other inspirational reads you can go to ft.com slash next act our new content hub for readers in later life thank you very much david for joining us today thank you claire Coming up on the FT Money Show, collectible coins and how if you could find a coin featuring Kew Gardens in your pocket, it could be worth a small fortune. But first, are you dreading the post-Christmas credit card bill? Just because you earn a city salary doesn't make you immune from wider debt problems, as our money mentor columnist Lindsay Cook has been finding out and she joins me now to discuss. Welcome, Lindsay. Hello. So before Christmas, you attended an event in the city called Debt Me Out of Here. (laughs) Tell me more. Well, it was organised by um, an organisation called She's on the Money, and it was attended by about 40 professional women and a couple of men, very Mm. brave men. Um, And they had one thing in common. They had debts. Now, they weren't missing credit card payments or or things like that. They were just about... But they were paying minimum payments, and they were noticing that every January they owed a bit more than they had the previous January. And in the back of their minds, they were thinking, I'd like to be able to save some money so that one day, maybe I can buy a house. They weren't poor people, Mm. in as much other than that they didn't have money in the bank. They were mostly earning pretty good salaries. Uh, In a couple of cases, very good salaries. But their, their money just escaped from them from payday shopping and invisible spending in that they go out for a sandwich at lunchtime and end up with the full shebang. So many of the women at the event said that they had got into trouble with 0% credit card deals. What was the typical story you heard? Um, Well, they wouldn't say the zero cards caused them the trouble. They'd transferred to them. And there was one woman in particular. She was on her third zero interest credit card and she it was going to run out. And she's saying, uh, should I get another? The first one I took out was for 2000 I'm now up to $5,000. Um, what should I do? And the answer is obviously, change your spending habits. Mm. Uh, because these are a good tool if you have debts and you want to stop spending and you take one out and you get zero interest on the debt from the time of transfer. You do pay a fee to transfer from into the new credit card, um, but they are a good deal as long as you obey the rules. But sadly, a lot of the credit card companies say, well, you've got 0% on the balance transfer, but you also have 0% on the first nine months of, of new purchases, which is perhaps how, how some of the, the, the women at the event got into further trouble. But of course, for people who are saddled with high interest credit card debt that they can't pay off in one go, as you said, switching to a 0% deal can be a useful way of managing the debt. But what are your top tips for anybody who is looking to do that? Well, first of all... Um check out whether you are eligible on an eligibility calculator because if you apply it's a hard up and it's straight to the 
credit card company and you're turned down or you're offered less than you wanted, that's a hard application. And then other companies have it on your credit records and they'll look at you and say, oh, she's applied to so-and-so. Now she wants another 5000 from us. They think you're building up tremendous debt. They don't realise or they just think, oh, she's been turned down for them. Um, we she must want, be a bad risk. We don't want her yeah. either. Um, so the eligibility checker will basically give you an idea without um, causing any uh, imprint on your credit file of what you what what could be available. But then in terms of um, dealing with the debt when you get it through. Well, you must absolutely make the minimum payment each month. If you miss by a day, by a pound, you've got to do it accurately. You then get penalties. Your interest rate is then through the stratosphere. It's more than a normal credit card. You've got a black mark on your credit record. So that is one thing you should do. But you really should cut up the card and pay off by the final date. So whether you do this by paying minimum payments and saving the rest in an interest-bearing account and then paying it off before the last day, however you do it, you must meet it by the last day and it's the best way to do it. And if you've transferred from one old account, you can use that for your spending, but make sure you pay off in full every month because you've now got down to a manageable level. You shouldn't be spending more in a month than you can afford. And finally, Lindsay, in your column um, in FT Money this week, you round up some of the best deals on 0% credit cards. Give us a flavour of the top ones. Uh, Well, Virgin Money and Post Office offer 28 months um, interest-free. They're pretty good accounts. um, And if you apply and are accepted, you get 28 months, whereas some of the other cards say up to 26 months or whatever. And it can be that they offer you half the money you ask for and for half the time you want. Now, it's better to take that and clear some of your debt. Don't say, oh, I'm going to apply elsewhere. So it is a start on your clearing your debts, but it it may not be the answer. And if you would like to read Lindsay Cook's um, full column, Are You Dreading the Christmas Credit Card Bill? That's online now at ft.com slash money and will be in the money section inside this Saturday's edition of the FT Weekend newspaper. It contains full details of all of the latest credit card deals and also about the She's on the Money events in the city. Will you be hunting down the new Sherlock Holmes 50 pence piece? Regular listeners will know that I am a huge fan of detective fiction, so I was thrilled, frankly, to see that the Royal Mint is releasing a special coin to mark the 160th anniversary of the birth of Holmes creator Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Part of the Royal Mint's uncirculated coin set for this year. Are these collectibles ever a good investment? Here to mull over this three-pipe problem with me is Dominic Chorney, a numismatic specialist at Baldwin's. Welcome, Dominic. Hello. Well, thanks so much for coming in today. The Royal Mint, they release a pack of these uncirculated coins every year, don't they? Yeah, they do. And they're always new designs for things like the 50 pence piece and the £2 coin. They tend to celebrate famous people, important people, important inventions or national monuments, things like that. And we've got one here in the studio. Um, I mean, I have to say, it's a lovely thing. There's lots of information about the individual coins. There's a special one on D-Day, Samuel Pepys, Sherlock Holmes, we've mentioned, Queen Victoria and Josiah Wedgwood. So as an educational gift, um, they certainly carry a lot of cachet. But the retail price for this pack is £55, yet the coins have a face value of just over £15. I think the key thing is that these are collectible items. 
you'll see on the front of the pack it says brilliant uncirculated which is a higher quality than you'd get in standard change they also do proof coins which are minted with highly polished dyes and things like that really high quality items and they can go up in value over the years also it depends on how popular the coins are with the public there are certain designs like with the beatrix potter coins which were very very popular after the coins were issued by the mint the mint issued some special colored coins and those were very very popular and sold out almost instantly so now the colored Beatrix Potter coins from the first series in their original boxes are worth significantly more than the mint sold them originally. Okay, so Beatrix Potter was um, not a bad investment, but these coins, the clues in the name, they won't end up in normal circulation unless a collector is foolish enough to actually spend them. But the sheer number of them means that there's a thriving market online for the ones that do um, slip into circulation. Valuable £2, £1 and 50p coins um, turning up in your spare change. So what should we be looking out for? I think it's difficult to judge exactly which ones are going to be valuable but we know from the past things like the 50 pence piece with q gardens the q pagoda design is worth significantly more than its face value they, they can sell for 70 or 80 pounds nowadays but that's purely down to the mintage numbers there were very very few made by comparison to the other coins issued in that year so only a couple of hundred thousand compared to a million of some of the other types so as a result the q gardens 50p is one of the most sought after coins you can find in your change other than that, there's also the undated 20 pence piece, which was issued in 2008 by mistake when they changed the design. So you and they have... forgot to put the year on. Exactly, yeah. They, they changed the date from one side to the other, but issued some coins with the wrong obverse and the wrong reverse dies. So neither side had a date and they can be worth 40, 50 pounds. For a 20 pence piece. Exactly, yeah. Wow. But regarding these new ones, we won't really know how many the mint have issued until a couple of years down the line when they release the mintage figures. And you never know, there may be one of the 50p's or the £2 coins in there that's had a significantly lower mintage limit. Well, thank you very much there to Dominic Chorney from Baldwin's. You can read more about the Royal Mint release and coin collecting on our website now if you go to ft.com money. That's it from The Money Show this week. To contact our team of writers and experts, email us money at ft.com or follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at ftmoney. We'll be back next week at the usual time. Goodbye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.